Let's pray as we look at that together. Dear God, we thank you for your words for us. We thank you that Jesus came and told us that he is the way, the truth and the life. Help us understand what we're reading now in 1 Samuel in the light of him, in whose name we pray. Amen. I was speaking to some friends recently and um, they were telling me they're planning a getaway. They, um, they're my age, they haven't really had a getaway since their university days um, in sort of a big way. And, um, ooh, that's a spoiler. Um, and, so what do you think they might need for their getaway? <laughs> I wonder. A, a passport, come on. <laughs> you know the answer. So how come you say it right at night when you know it, but when you know it here in the morning you say it wrong? What's that, what's that about? <laughs> anyway, that's just the way it goes. Um, they're planning an overseas trip, but there is a problem. There is something they need to renew before they go. Has anyone had experience with renewing their passports in recent years? A few have. One is cackling over here. Um, who's had a good experience of it? Anyone? You have? How was it? What was it? Is this routine? Ah, oh, see, that's smart. Okay. Yep, we've also had a good experience of renewing it. Yeah, good experience. Simple. But who had a, 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 a not great experience of it? Tom, tell us about yours. Yep. Okay. So I'm hearing you say that, and I'm hearing Alistair and Lynn saying, and maybe saying here that that's just normal. Is that right? <laughs> That's just the way you renew your passport. You fill in all the forms and it takes forever. Is that right? That's fair? What happened to you? Yep, that's a bit more painful. I find Tom's way painful enough, where you just have to fill all this. There's so much to do, it's ridiculous. Then you got some bad things happen. Then what, yours wasn't that bad, was it? Okay. Shannon, Shannon stayed in the passport office overnight, is that right? Or maybe not. Okay. Uh, well, when you hear the word renewal, I don't know what you think when you hear that word renewal, but if it's to do with administrative things, like your credit card, or your bill statements, or your passwords, which for some things, they want you to renew your password every 60 days. Who does that? I don't have more than one password. It's the word password, by the way. Is this, we're not recording this, are we? Oh no, I've just exposed myself. Um, uh, some sort of card that's going to expire, any kind of admin, and the word renewal is, for me, not a pleasant experience. I don't know how you find that one. But that's not the only sense of the word renewal, right? You know, it's like they all must congratulate you. Congratulations, you get to fill in a heap of forms now. Oh, thank you, that's so good. Um, but what season are we in now? Spring. And spring is a season of renewal, which is a good thing, right? Because things grow and there's beauty and there's flowers and it's wonderful. Um, what about ourselves when we think about renewal? How do you renew yourself? If someone said to you, renew yourself, what would you be thinking? Ponder that for a moment or two. But we're looking at this um, chapter here, and in chapter 11, we saw Samuel say, let's go and renew the kingdom. I mean, that sounds a bit bigger than renewing yourself, doesn't it? It's a, it's a huge thing. And we're going to see what it is, what he's going on about, and how that helps our thinking and changes our actions. Because this, this desire to renew ourselves, I think, is a fairly popular one in society. 
And I think people try it in many different ways. Um, what does it actually look like? What does it look like? Now, in chapter 11 of 1 Samuel, we start off there with a contrast of kings. Um, chapter 11, verse 1, we see King Nahash the Ammonite, who goes up and besieges Jabesh Gilead, and all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, make a treaty with us and we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, on this condition I'll make a treaty with you, that I gouge out all your right eyes and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. That's a bit harsh, isn't it? Um, You've got to wonder, why are they asking this guy to be their king? Um, and when they get his offer, what do you think of that? That's not a great offer, is it? But I wonder, because think back to last time, chapter 10, verse 27, or look back a few verses there. It's literally the last verse in chapter 10. Some people loved the idea of Saul being king. Men of valor. And then, verse 27 of chapter 10, but some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? And you might recall, we pondered the question, is that because... They wanted a king like all the nations, as was their request in chapter 8. And when they got a king from God, they felt like God pulled the rug. Oh, we got a king, but he's got to do what you say, God. We didn't want that. I wonder. Well, here's the king like everyone else. Nahash, literally, the king of everyone else, right? He's just like all the other nations. I wonder how you'd respond to his offer. Make a treaty with us. He's obviously got a big army. He's going to conquer them. He says, okay, I'll make a treaty with you. Here's a treaty. Gouge out all your right eyes. And what do they say? What would you say to that deal? I think we'll be all right, mate. What do they say? I find it staggering what they say, to be honest with you. Look at verse 3. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days respite, that we may send messengers through all the territory of Israel. Then, if there's no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. So they say this, and it's a really weird interchange, right? He says, okay, I'll make a treaty. The treaty is I'll take all your right eyes. That's not great. And they say, well... Just give us seven days to see if we can find someone who can beat you, okay, in war. And after that, if we can't find someone, then you can take our right eyes. It's just a bizarre thing. I guess they're thinking better to live with one eye than not live at all. But you wonder why he grants their request. You know what I mean? Because he says, yeah, that's fine. Good luck. And he sends them off to go and find some friends. Now, I wonder if it says something about the way Jabesh Gilead is viewed by the rest of Israel. We'll come to that in a moment. But they don't have a great history, so to speak. Um, it might also say something about his army and his force and how he views Israel. Some peasants who he can easily conquer. Not a problem. I could care less if they all come. I will rule them. Well, when we pause there, I do find it striking, though, to consider the idea of the request back in chapter 8. We want a king like everyone else. They get what they want in the form of um, Nahash. And it's not what it cracked up to be. And that is so often the way in life, isn't it? We want something that the nations around us have because we think they've got better ideas about how to organise society than God does. But as we see what they have to offer, it dawns on us maybe what they have to offer is not as good. Now, I don't know what you've been reading, but if you um, look in any, um, well, any magazines, uh, you'll see that 50 is the new 40, right? It's a new idea, that sort of thing. That's what they tell us, right? The... 50s and new 40, that's what they say. Is that something you've heard before? Yeah? What does that mean? Does anyone know what it means? I think it's trying to say that, you know, you're, you're, you're middle ages later in life now. It's fine. It's okay. You just keep on renewing yourself and being okay. They're trying to say you're going to live longer. It's going to be all right. But it just makes me wonder. No one lives to 140, do they? So, so what's the big 
selling point behind this, you know, it's okay to be a bit older. Like, it is. But what promise is there in that? What about dieting fads? They come out every year. A new dieting fad comes out. Why do these come out? Why are they so popular? Why do people jump on board with them? Is it because we've lost the basic wisdom on balance between work and exercise, between basic nutrition thinking? Is that what it is? Who knows? What about accessibility and communication? You've got your phone. We talked about this a few weeks ago. You're closer than ever before with other people. And yet, the surveys are showing that we're actually all further apart. Um, Mobile phones can put you in touch very easily. And yet, there's increasing rates of depression and isolation and loneliness. It's a poor substitute for face-to-face. The list goes on and on, right? If you put your hope in what the world tells us, I can promise you, you will be disappointed eventually, right? Whereas if we put our hope in God and his ways, it will give us perspective on life. It'll help us find greater satisfaction in our daily toil because we can see the bigger picture. The men of uh, Jabesh Gilead thought they could put their hope in Nahash and suddenly it dawns on them, this is not a good deal. We don't want to live without our eyes. Can someone save us? I wonder, I I was trying to think of examples of great reversals in life. And um, I I went to the source of all knowledge, Google, and I I found a few quotes or jokes. I'm going to put them in inverted commas. I wish they were my jokes because they're very, very funny, but uh, we'll see. Um, So the first one's this. Uh, How do you find the answer to a question? Well, this is how you do it, okay? You put the wrong answer on social media, and then you'll be lambasted by people telling you what the right answer actually is. I think that'll be quite funny at 6pm. We'll see. It might not be. Flynn, will it be? Lead balloon? It'll be okay. That's probably better than... uh, It's much better than here. Um, (laughs) A husband is speaking to his wife and he tells her she's done the wrong thing. Um, There's been a mistake and they're having an argument about it. And eventually he says, listen, you probably just need to embrace your mistake. And so she gives him a big hug. I thought that would work here. Um, the last one's dad joke. Uh, <laughs> so bring your laugh at it. Um, a, a person goes to a therapist and they tell the therapist they have a fear of driving backwards. Can you please help me with this fear? I need some kind of help. And the psychologist says, I'm really sorry, I don't do reverse psychology. Yeah, okay, dad joke's over. Um, <laughs> those are some, perhaps, some, some jokes uh, about things being reversed. Um, or seeing it from a different perspective, maybe. What we actually see in uh, the next part of chapter 11 is a, something of a reversal or something coming undone. Um, and I don't know if you picked it up as it was being read out. Did anyone pick up the reversal there um, as it was being read out? If you did, massive prize for you. Um, is anyone confident to say what they think is being reversed here? No, I don't think so. That's all right. Um, yeah, you have to work with me here, but it's something of a, a reversal of Judges 19 to 21. Who thought that as it was being read? No one. There we go. Um, but, <laughs> but let's just think back here. So you have to work with me. Um, so put the screensaver off, turn the brain on. What is like the big theme of Judges? If you had to use one sentence to sum it up, what would it be? Trying and failing. Trying and failing. Not bad. Yep. Yep. What else? Give me another one. Judges actually has a phrase it uses itself. So if you get this, that's definitely a prize. Just on that tip of my tongue. 
Oh, that's pretty good. Uh, in those days, there was no king in Israel. Um, I'll go right now, I've forgotten. <laughs> Um, in those days there was no king in Israel everyone did what was right in their own eyes it's a key refrain Okay, it comes up again and again through the book of Judges it's actually the last verse of the book of Judges I'm pretty sure Um, and I don't know maybe a couple of years ago we were looking at Judges and we saw that it's like this what did you say it was Brent? things Uh, trial and error error. yeah it's, it's, it's basically this circle of things getting worse and worse and worse and worse and it really leaves you scratching your head. And as you read chapters 19 to 21, it, it, it's quite abominable, really. Um, the book demonstrates quite clearly the sinfulness of humanity and the failed solutions that we bring to the table ourselves. Um, we're not going to go through the whole book now, but at the end, there's an incident that um, involves distribution of body parts to the tribes of Israel. Um, it involves that. It involves Jabesh Gilead, the tribe of Benjamin, and the fact there's no king. Now, what actually happens... Um, and I'll, I'll put it up on the screen in a second, is that there is an atrocious act in the town of Gibeah. And that atrocious act then results in human body parts being sent out around the nation of Israel. A civil war ensues, and in that civil war, the tribe of Benjamin, which is where the city of Gibeah is located, is all but wiped out. Thousands and thousands die. I think about 600 men run away. And then they have a council to decide what's going to happen. Oh, we, we almost annihilated one of our own tribes of people, what do we do? Well, let's give them some wives. Oh, Jabesh, um, Jabesh Gilead didn't turn up. Let's take some of their daughters and give it to the men of Benjamin for their wives. And so they attack the people of Jabesh Gilead. And then it finishes with that refrain, the final verse, in those days there was no king, everyone did what was right in their own eyes. What a debacle. There it is there in, um, in bullet point form. Horror in Gibeah, civil war, Benjamin wiped out, crushing of Jabesh Gilead and no king, dot, dot. Uh, where, who, who comes from Gibeah, by the way? Anyone know a famous Israelite from Gibeah? A very tall man. Saul. Saul comes from Gibeah. That's very interesting, isn't it? Um, and so what we actually see in this chapter is, I'll, I'll read for you um, verses 4 to 6. Um, the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul. They reported the, manner, the matter in the ears of the people And all the people wept aloud. Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. And Saul said, what is wrong with the people that they are weeping? So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words. And his anger was greatly kindled. Verse 7, he took a yoke of oxen, cut them in pieces, and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of messengers. So you can see some of the similarities here. But it's quite different. In this case, there's no refrain of no king. In fact, God anoints Saul by the Spirit to right the wrongs of the people there. And so it's kind of an antithesis to Judges 19 to 21. And we have oxen body parts sent out if you're squeamish. Um, I don't know how to help you with that one, but it's not people. (laughs) I mean, it's small victories, right? (laughs) Okay. Um, I guess if you were to make a sin offering, what would you use for the sin offering? If you're rich, you'd use oxen, right? So, yeah. Um, There's going to be a war. Um, but it's going to be a unified war. They're going to fight against God's, uh, the people oppressing God's people. The war is led by who? The tribe of Benjamin. Um, and what happens to Jabesh Gilead? They are saved. And how does this happen? Not in human wisdom, but by God's divine power. There you go. Bang. Quite neatly um, put there. And the result in verse 11, you see... And the next day Saul put the people into three companies and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day 
and those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. A tremendous victory. Now, you, again, you might be squeamish because um, this whole idea of the battle, all right, and they're, they're slaughtering these Ammonites who were going to gouge out eyes. Right? These aren't nice people either. But you're kind of like, well, why, who, why do people get to kill other people? Remember, you're standing on this side of the cross, and so you have a better perspective than they had. But as we look at the events in the Old Testament, very often there's physical things that happen, like things to do with physical reality, that help us understand spiritual realities today. And because we're quite thick, if someone has told us, this is what's going on for you, you're fighting a spiritual battle, we'd be like, well, I don't know what that looks like. And so we have these physical examples of it, so that now we can actually understand what's going on for us. Because the New Testament actually does call us to war, in a sense, doesn't it? Not to go and fight in Iraq or something, no, it doesn't say that. Not a display of physical violence. It's a spiritual battle for the hearts and minds of the lost. And not to cause them harm, but actually to help them, to bring them into the wondrous light of the good news of Jesus Christ. It's a reversal, isn't it? Physical wars bring physical pain, they bring suffering, they bring death. And Jesus says, I have restoration and healing and eternal life. Our world is in the darkness, as John's Gospel puts it. Um, And when Jesus comes, it's to those dwelling in darkness shone a great light. Our wars against the darkness of the world that we live in. The spiritual nahashes, if you can work with that concept. If not, just drop it. Um, And not to bring harm, but to bring healing, restoration, forgiveness from sin, new life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And so we might pause there for a second and say, "Well, well, how do I do that? You've just put me in the army, Craig. False. I haven't. Who did? God did. That's right. Um, but, great. What, what do I do? How do I do that? Well, God puts you with his people. And he gives us a common purpose. What's God's purpose for his people on earth? Jesus says it pretty clearly at the end of, go and make disciples. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? Um, and so we might say, okay, well, that's what we've got to do. We can do that, all right? And we can even work together. We can do that. But what does victory look like? And that's where we've got to stop and take a healthy dose of humility, right? A reality check for us. Because victory is not for us to claim, is it? Whose life can you change to bring them out of darkness into the light? Whose? No one's. I mean, I can't even change my children's behavior, let alone save someone from sin and death, right? I can't do that. What's our job then? to go and present the good news of Jesus. Um, And then God, by his Spirit, is going to work to change hearts and minds. He'll change them from living for self to living for him. So we've got to think about how do we do that as a church? How do we do that? What are we on about here? Um, I was uh, talking to a friend, um, the same passport person, and they, um, there's a few sporting events on in Australia. The ICC T20 World Cup is one of them. And they were at a game with a big crowd in the football, in the cricket stadium. And they heard someone behind them saying this. They heard someone behind them saying, sport is back, baby. Sport is back, baby. What do you think that person meant? COVID? But I thought sport was still on during COVID, wasn't it? Oh, you couldn't go. And so what they were saying was that their opinion was that now, it's great. Look at the big crowd, because they're talking about the big crowd, and they you know, look at the big crowd. Sport is back, baby. They were referencing the gathering of people. Um, and perhaps that's an indicator, well, for this person, of where people are at. 
there's been two, three years of isolating self, of cutting off, all that sort of stuff, maybe people are becoming more willing to socialise again. Perhaps that's the case. Maybe some of you were willing at the start to socialise. Maybe some still aren't. I said there's a spectrum and maybe, you know, the bulk of people are coming through in crowds, we can see it happening, and are more willing to socialise again. So what do we do? What's our role? Well, three simple things we could think of. First is, it's a really easy one, pray, right? Um, We've got to pray. We've got to pray for somebody that we know, okay, that we want to hear the good news. Acknowledge to God that we can't change them but that he can. Um, then we can think of ourselves as a collective. What do we do as a church? How do we do that? Um, how do we actually be purposeful about what we're doing? Next week, it's, what's next week? There's about 10 different answers, but I'm sure you all know. It's the undo Christmas creations. Is that what it's called? Yeah, okay, good. Um, what's the point of that? To make... Little things that say joy and hang on the Christmas tree. Is that right? Spot on? Not really. That's just something we're doing. That, that's being intentional so that we can actually share the good news of Jesus, right? Um, and so what we want to do is think about how do we actually maximize the visitors that come along to church and do things that we can invite people to. What are the things that my friends would like to come along to? Um, what are the things that your friends would like to come along to? And, you know, through November, we're doing this whole feedback thing. You should have got in your email the um, survey, the link you can click and just fill it in. Maybe you could put a suggestion in there. Hey, my friends would come to this. Great. We probably can't do everything. And maybe you might even like to pick a number and say, you're going to pray for X number of people to come along and visit church this year. I haven't got stats for you of how many visited this year, but uh, it's it's a surprising number. Um, if you... Go and look it up. It's surprising. I don't have the exact number, but um, it's bigger than you'd think. Um, do that. Great. So we can do it for ourselves, pray for ourselves, pray for our church. And we should also think a little bit globally. Pray for people overseas. Particularly who? Uh, the Christians. Yes, we're abroad. Uh. So who? Missionaries. Missionaries. Oh, know, no one knows their name, do they? Oh, the Apostolics. They're the ones. Who were they? In France, okay. That's good. They're going to watch this later. They'll be very sad. Um, But what we could do is we could pray for them and we could pick a number for them as well. How many people do you want to hear the good news and become Christians through the ministry of Josh and Susanna next year? Pick a number. Nine? Nineteen? I don't know. Just pick a number and pray for it every day. Because you'd be surprised that when you pray for things, um, things actually happen. It's not because prayer is a magic spell. It's because God loves us to depend on him. And prayer is the ultimate expression of our dependence on him. We're saying, Lord, we can make plans and we can prioritize and we can be strategic, but actually you're in control. A number of years ago, we had a one, two and five year plan for church. We went through this whole process and we then looked at what happened in one year and two years and five years. It was actually surprising how many of those things happened. We said to people, this is what we're going to do. Here's five, six categories. Take it away. Pray for it. And we put some pretty big dreams on there in terms of what we would like to see happen. And a lot of them happened, all right? So just make some plans uh, that you want to see happen and pray for them. And then prioritize. Think about what am I actually doing? What do I do in life? What's important to me? Is this important to me? It really should be because God pulled you out of darkness into his glorious light. If it is, prioritize God, his people. Prioritize your 
place in that. When people hear that, what they think is, okay, so every single thing church does, I've got to go to. Is that what it means to prioritise it? No, what does it mean, Brent? Pick your things and stick to them. Yep, it's not hard, is it? Okay, uh, well, I'll stop there. I could keep going all day, obviously. That's what I do. <laughs> um, so, uh, not stopping the whole sermon, sorry, just stopping that part. Keep the expectations in order. We've got about another 45 minutes. No, we don't. We're, we're almost finished. Um, I've got a, a pop quiz for you. Before I take the pop quiz, would anyone be uncomfortable putting their hand up just now to a pop quiz? You might be. I'm going to ask you what your attitude to change is, and if you, um, you can choose, I, I'm in favour of change, I'm generally against change, or generally I'm on the fence. I want to see what's going on first. Okay, so I'm going to ask those three questions. Would anyone be uncomfortable answering that question by a show of hands? If you say, no, okay, fine. You just won't do it, that's okay. Okay, so let's just have a look here. So who, when you hear about change, who's in favour, generally, of change? A handful. Who's generally opposed to change? There's nothing wrong with that, that's okay, that's, that's fine. And who is generally on the fence? I just want to see what it is first. Okay, good. Well, I've got a few changes to talk about this morning. No, I don't. <laughs> it relates back to 1 Samuel, okay? Just, just bear with me here. Um, there was a survey taken by the Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, and they gave five categories of change. There's, they said 2.6% of people are early innovators. They just go and change things, right? 13.4% um, are influenced by the, but not initiators, so they go with the change. So 15 out of 15% of people basically are in favour. Um, they said there's 34% who are the slow majority. They'll, yeah, we'll come along, but we're a bit slower. There's 34% who are the reluctant majority. They'll come along, but they're not necessarily happy to do so. And there's 16% who are the antagonistic, as they say. And their opinion is they will never change. Okay. Um, so that's, that's what they say. Um, that doesn't mean if you put your hand up saying you don't like change that that's who you are. doesn't mean that at all. Um, but we look back at uh, 1 Samuel, and we remember we had some people who were the antagonistic in the chapter there, in chapter 10. The people who, in verse 27, said, how can this man save us? All right? Uh, well, what happens is we come to verse 12 of chapter 11, and then the people said to Samuel, who is it that said, shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may, that we may put them to death. So they're like, well, if these guys aren't going to change, we're going to kill them. And then we see another change. But Saul said, not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. When you think about it, what the people are saying sounds a bit harsh, but then again, it's quite common for the kings like everyone else seen, isn't it? Because if you had Nahash and he took over and there's a few people who said, you're not going to put my eye out, what's he going to do? First of all, he'll put their eye out and then he might put the other one out just for fun. Like th- that's what the kings did in the day. They-, they killed those who stood against them. But this is not the way it works in God's kingdom. And Saul says, no, no, no one's going to die. Then Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. So the people went to Gilgal and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. It's an enormous change. They want to kill the naysayers. Saul says, no, it's about God's salvation. It's not for us to decide. And this tension in the overarching biblical story is resolved. I don't know what the percentage would be in Israel. 16%, let's go with it. Human behavior is human behavior, right? The Presbyterians weren't around to take the survey back then, but I'm sure it's about the same. But no, no, they say we're going to embrace, we're going to unify the kingdom. Let's go to Gilgal and let's renew the kingdom. Um, 
Those stats before, they should they or shouldn't be that way? It probably doesn't matter, right? It doesn't matter. But what does matter is whether or not God's word changes us. And we see here a huge reversal, an enormous change in Israel, and it's brought about by the Spirit of God. And so as we think about ourselves, we think, what are we looking for when we talk about renewal? What is it that we want? Do we want, and this is a great idea for you, do we want an app, right, that we could put on our phones, and into that app you can put all your credit cards and all your bills and your passport, all your info, and it just renews it automatically on the date, so you never have to fill a form in again. Wouldn't that be a good app? Um, you could probably get Optus or like I don't know, Medibank to um, take care of the security for it. That'd be fine, I'm sure. Um, is that the renewal we're looking for in life, like comfort? Um, are we looking for some sort of personal reinvention? Are we thinking that you know, oh, my job's a bit stale. I don't like that, or oh, I don't really like where I'm at. I want that. I want something different. Do we want a physical renewal? Is that what we're looking for? Are we thinking that 50 is the new 40, but what's the new 50? Is that what we're thinking? Or do we want to repent and refresh our vision of what God has done for us in Jesus? There's a verse in Romans 12 that talks about renewal. Um, do you know the verse, Lynn? <laughs> she knows it well. I put it on the spot at 8 o'clock, and she got the first, there's two verses. She got the first one, which was not what I was after, um, and blanked on the second one. And then I said it, and then she's like, okay, I'll go there. Ask her again. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's right. Um, our thought patterns have got to change. And that's what we should be praying, that God will do that in us. God says, that's what I want for you. So we've got to set aside the time to pray and ask God for that, the time to be in the Word, to let our minds be renewed and refreshed. It's so important for us, because that is how you find your renewal as part of God's kingdom. Come to Christ, uh, enter through Jesus, and then be transformed. There's one more thing to finish with, just one verse. It's in Acts chapter 1. The apostles are gathered together. Jesus is about to ascend and they ask him a question. Does anyone know the question they ask him? They say to him, Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? Right? Is it about to happen now? And what does Jesus say to them? If you read it, at first reading it sounds like he says to them, None of your business. <laughs> Which he kind of does. He says, It's not for you to know the times or places. But then he says, I should read this out, um, that'd be helpful. Uh, then he says to them, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he says, but, he says, it's not for you to know the times or seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority. Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We come back to 1 Samuel. They come to renew the kingdom at Gilgal and Saul, good king, bad king, ultimately, Bad, he's a dud, right? Doesn't work out. Jesus, good king, bad king, ultimately? Good, right? And they say, is it now? And Jesus says, well, sort of. You don't know when it is, but your job is what? Wait for the Spirit and then get out there. The Spirit falls on Saul and Samuel. We see that the kingdom is renewed. We are given the Spirit as we trust in Christ. The deposit we're promised. Renew the kingdom, says Jesus. Get out there. Are you left longing for more in life? I'm sure we could all answer yes to that at various times. We all want more from life. We all feel dissatisfied at times. Let me encourage you to take that anguish to Jesus. I mean, that's part of it. But then find your place in the battle, all right? The battle for the hearts and souls of the people around you. Your friends, your neighbours, your family members. 
renew your mind, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and then be those who play your part in the renewal of the kingdom. And rest assured, you're not a sniper sent out by yourself to take on everybody. You're part of a platoon here. Well, I guess I could get the nomenclature right if I thought hard about it, but you're part of a group, right? And together we are working for God's kingdom. Let me pray that we'll be able to do that. Father, we thank you for that wonderful question from the disciples, that longing that they had. Are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? That is our longing to come back, bring the kingdom in all its glory right now, we pray. But at the same time, we pray for patience. And we pray that we'll honour you in what we do, in how we carry ourselves as your soldiers, not to cause pain, but to bring healing and to point people towards new life in Jesus Christ. Father, renew us today. Help us to find ways to keep being transformed by the renewing of our mind that we might be transformed as a community by you and see lives around us transformed. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're just going to continue in prayer. So join with me in that. And while I'm praying, I think Chris is going to bring the kids back in for the last song. Father, we pray for the many things that are on the table in front of us, and we think particularly of the Apostolics. First of all, um, they are so far away from us physically and yet so close to us spiritually. Like us, they are precious children of yours, defined by your Son, our Saviour, Jesus. And we pray for their ministry in France, that you'll be working through them to bring the good news to dozens of people. Um, Father, help us each to pick a number and be bold with it, to pray it, maybe to share it in a couple of weeks' time and set a goal that we want to pray for them as a church and share that with them to encourage them. And We pray that we might um, hear good news of people, and we thank you that we do hear good news in their, in their letters of people becoming followers of you. Um, Father, help us um, to keep supporting them um, with our prayers uh, as well as our finances. We pray for ourselves as a church as well and that you help us to think about what it looks like for sport to be back, baby, in the sense of people being more willing to gather and come to things again. Give us a confidence in you on that front and help us to make plans um, with you in mind, ways that we can be thoughtful, um, make um, strategic decisions and think of ways that we can reach out with the good news and most effectively use um, who, the gifts that we have and who we are for your glory. We pray for ourselves as individuals who help us make, um, get our priorities right for you, to think about what you would have from us, how you'd have us live. Help us to find solace in your word in those times that we feel despair and we feel lacking. And in those times, renew our, let us be transformed by the renewing of our mind, being given that ever greater assurance of your love for us in Jesus. And we pray all this in his name. Amen.